Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. Every believer can just simply get into the book and feast on it, but most won't. And what's the excuse? Well, I can't understand it. Yeah, you can. It's not that difficult. And of course, my first premise is the first thing you do, you separate that which is for the Jew and that is for the Gentile. Now, that doesn't mean you throw aside that which is for the Jew, but you compare Scripture with Scripture, but in the light of the fact that God dealt with the Jew under the law, He's dealing with us today under grace. And that is two totally... Uh, contrary principles. Law and grace will not mix, but always be aware that the Apostle Paul is crying against legalism in any shape or form because we're not under the law, we're under grace. All right, now then to these Corinthian believers, for the most part, now some Jews, as we're going to see in a moment, but for the most part, Pagan Gentiles recently converted out of their mythology and their idolatry, but they aren't growing. They're just sort of stagnated in their infancy spiritually. All right, so that's what he says now then in chapter 3, verse 1, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but I have to talk to you as carnal or fleshly, even as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. Now, I think the Greek would imply strong meat. Now, sometimes the King James word meat means food of any sort. But I don't think that's what Paul is implying here. He's talking about flesh. He's talking about beef or mutton or something like that. And, of course, the Middle Easterners, I guess, even eat goat. But whatever. He's not talking about food in general. He's talking about meat. See? And he says, you can't handle it. No more than an infant can handle a T-bone steak or solid food. All right? He says, you are not able to bear it. Neither even now are you able. Now let's move on where we left off, where he says, you are yet caught. You have not grown sufficiently to take advantage of these spiritual truths that are above and beyond your carnality. And what was their major problem? Division. Division. Now let's look at it. Verse 4. One of you says, I'm of Paul. Well, that follows. After all, Paul was the one who came into that idolatrous city and preached the gospel and had a nucleus of believers. Naturally, they would stick to Paul because he was the one that was instrumental. But, now we're going to go back to Acts chapter 18. After Paul had gotten many of these congregations off the ground, naturally God used other men. He didn't leave it with Paul alone. 
And one of these other men that God had chosen was a man by the name of Apollos. Now we pick him up in Acts chapter 18. Verse 24. Now, Apollos doesn't come to the Corinthian church immediately. He comes first to Ephesus, which is across the Aegean Sea, of course, on the western shore of Turkey. And as Apollos comes to Ephesus, verse 24 of Acts chapter 18, And a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria. Now, that's in Egypt, where there was also, I think, a seminary of sorts. That's where the Septuagint originated, when the Jewish scholars came together, remember, back in, uh, oh, a couple, three hundred years before Christ. And uh, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek. And I think it was a valid translation, because over and over, Jesus quoted from the Septuagint. And I don't think he would have if it would have been a forgery. All right, now this man, Apollos, came out of that same area of intellectual Hebrews, Jews, and he was an eloquent man. Now, what does that tell you? For here was a guy who came with all the outward appearances of somebody who was magnetic, someone who could hold a crowd. I, I have to envision he was probably a handsome gentleman. He probably was well-dressed. But on top of everything else, he had the gift of oratory. He could literally spellbound people with his speech, with his oratory. All right, read on. He was an eloquent man, reading on in verse 24, and what's the next word? Mighty in the Scriptures. Now stop and think. How much Scripture does the early church have? Old Testament. See, there's nothing of the New Testament written yet, not even the Gospels. Paul's letters, even as they're being written, have not yet been circulated as the Bible. And so the only scriptures these people could preach from was the Old Testament. All right, now here comes Apollos. And again, since he came from Alexandria, I have to think in my own mind that he was probably quite well educated from that same group that translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek. All right, now this eloquent, I think, well-mannered, gifted man comes to the church at Ephesus, just across the GMC from Corinth. Verse 25, this man, Apollos, was instructed or had been taught by other people in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the Spirit, and he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only what? The baptism of John. In other words, now let's bring our thinking into focus. How much of Christianity did Apollos know? Well, I'd say none. See? Because the gospel of the kingdom that was preached by Jesus in the Twelve was still basically Jewish. It was connected with temple worship. It was connected to the Old Testament covenants. It was the promise of the coming Messiah. And as I mentioned in one of my previous programs, a gentleman who contributes every month wrote in one of his last little notes, and he says, My, what a thrill to see that the blood of animals was the only approach to God in the Old Testament 
So consequently, the four Gospels belong to the Old Testament. The blood of Christ is the way to God once we get to the Pauline revelations. And so you've got to keep those two concepts separated. So here comes Apollos. He knows nothing of Paul's Gospel. He only knows the Gospel of the Kingdom that had been preached by Jesus and the Twelve and John the Baptist, and that was repentance and baptism and believing that Jesus was the Christ. That's all Apollos knew. Oh, boy. God always has the right person at the right place at the right time, doesn't he? So who takes Apollos aside and says, Now, wait a minute, Apollos. You're a great speaker. You are magnetic. We love to sit and listen to you as you open the Old Testament. But Apollos, you're missing something. And I Apollos thought to these lowly tent makers, what are you trying to tell me? But I always say I admire Apollos because he listened. Great man that he was, he sat down evidently and listened to these two lowly tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila. All right, now let's see what they tell him. Verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue up there at Ephesus. Whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly in the King James. What's a better word? Accurately. It's a good word. What translation have you got? Accurately. Oh, I was going to say more completely. See? More completely. In other words, Priscilla and Aquila are in a position to tell Apollos something that he did not know. Now let's back up in chapter 18 and let's see where they got their, their knowledge. Back up into chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, found a certain Jew named Aquila. Same Aquila that we got here in verse 26. Born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because of the demand to depart from Rome. And Paul came unto Priscilla and Aquila now in Corinth. Verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode or dwelt with a Priscilla and Aquila and worked, wrought in the King James, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Now verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter naturally. We don't have to. But as time goes by... And as Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are sp spending at least a certain amount of their daily time with their trade, what do you suppose Paul constantly talked about? Well, his gospel. See? That's all Paul could talk about. You know, I'm always thrilled when, when we can stop and visit people that have, have just been acquaintances only through the program. And they've invited us to stop, as we did in the last week or two. And for 48 hours, do you think we talked about the weather? Do you think we talked about politics? Uh -uh. I mean, it was just constant talking about the things of the Word. Well, that's as it should be. And it's the same way with these three people. That's all they talked about were Paul's revelation concerning now the Christ who had died and been buried and rose from the dead, ascended back to glory, commission this man now to take the gospel of the grace of God, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. 
All right, so now Paul has just unloaded on these two people, and he has gone his way. Now, do you think Priscilla and Aquila forgot everything they heard? Oh, no. When Apollos comes and knows only the baptism of John, what do these two people do? Well, you know what I've said before. I think they took him home for dinner. And as they sat across that dinner table, those two people unloaded on that eloquent man. And now then come back, if you will, to Acts 18 toward the end of the chapter. Verse 28 now, after verse 26, they, Priscilla and Aquila, expounded the way of God more completely or more accurately. Now you come to verse 28, for sake of time, for he mightily, see, not just using the Old Testament scriptures now, but with what he's gained from Priscilla and Aquila, he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then you come on and you find that Apollos accomplished great things. All right, now then you come back over to chapter 3. This is the same man who now has followed in Paul's footsteps, and he is now at the congregation in Corinth, and again he's holding forth with eloquence and a capability of opening the Scriptures. But now, of course, he had to be in, in agreement with Paul's gospel, and so there wasn't any doctrinal differences, but it was personalities, see? Now, we've shown before, Paul was not the kind of a man that just simply drew people to him from his appearance and from his speech and so forth. It was quite the opposite. Paul gained his converts strictly through the working of the Holy Spirit. Paul physically, I don't think, had that much to offer like Apollos did. And so now, what do these believers in Corinth do? Well, some by virtue of the fact that Paul was the one who brought them out of their idolatry and their immorality. Naturally, they had an adherence to that man. But along comes Apollos, you see. And with his magnetism and his charisma, he took a group of people and said, Hey, we don't want that much to do with Paul. We're going to follow Apollos. Well, that's understandable because people are still doing the same thing today. I've seen churches just totally fall apart when a pastor leaves. Well, that's not right. In other words, that church has been loyal to the man instead of to the Word of God and the Christ whom they worship. And so always remember this, that you don't put your eyes or hang your heart on a man, but instead let it be centered on the Word of God and on the Christ who bought us. All right, now then we have another group in the church here at Corinth, small as it was, and they are those who are going to adhere to the Apostle Peter. Now, you know, I've said over the years as I've been teaching, I did not believe that the Twelve, per se, had a ministry amongst the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean that they never uh, had an opportunity to greet some of these believers, and I'm sure Paul would have been the first to give Peter an opportunity to speak to the believers at Corinth, but I do not believe that Peter was instrumental in bringing these people out of paganism and bringing them to a salvation. But nevertheless, you have this group at Corinth now that are going to cling to Peter rather than Paul or Apollos. So, as I've mentioned in one of my other classes, what group of people do you suppose they were? I think it was the Jewish element. I think there were believing Jews in all these early congregations, 
And it naturally follows that since Peter had been steeped in Judaism, Peter had been located at Jerusalem, that he was the one that they more or less had an affinity for. Because after all, he was connected to their background. And so with all of that going for Peter, we have this group of people as Jews, I believe, can't prove it from Scripture, but I, that's the way I look at it, that since Peter was more connected to the Judaism of Jerusalem and temple worship and all that, they more or less stuck with Peter, see? And it caused a division. And I imagine it was a rather stark division, or Paul wouldn't have considered it a problem. All right, now then, just like today, and I run into it constantly, when I teach that our doctrines come from the pen of the Apostle Paul, and I can show from Scripture where Paul says, Be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. People rebel at that. And they say, Lest there's no way I'm going to follow Paul. I follow, who do you suppose? Jesus. I follow Christ. And they had the same thing here. See? All right, look at it. Chapter 3. Hmm. Lost it. What verse is it? Anybody find it? But anyway, there were those who followed Paul. There were those who followed Apollos. And then there were those who said, we follow Christ. I guess it's a little later in, in the book of, of Corinthians. I'm not seeing here. But anyhow, it was another faction. Now, why do you suppose they were doing that? Well, for much the same reason that they were going to stay with Peter. Because Jesus was the one who had more or less brought all this to pass, they felt. It was Jesus who had instituted the, the work of the cross and so forth. But whatever... Paul says you cannot have these divisions. Now then, verse 5. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave, and I think what's referred to here is the measure of faith, even as God gave the measure of faith to every man, Paul said it really works. I watered or I planted, I'm sorry. He said, I planted. Apollos came along and watered. But who brought about the increase? Well, God did. That's the same way today. You know, you don't have to always see the fruits of your witnessing and testimony. You don't have to be the one that sees saved. All you have to do is what? Sow the seed. You sow the seed. I sow the seed. Someone else may come along and, and add to their understanding. And maybe even a third person will come along and, and bring them along a little further. But regardless of how many of us may be involved in the salvation of an individual, who is the final cause? Well, God is. See? God gives the increase. Never lose sight of that. All right, verse 7. So now then, whether we're the planter or whether we're the waterer or whatever other part of the work we may do, that isn't what counts. Neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. And that's what we have to understand. Read it again. I have a planet, verse 6. Apollos is watered, but God gave the increase. In other words, Paul doesn't even take credit for it himself, see? Okay, now then, verse 7. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. For God gave the increase... Verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are what? One. See? 
I can't take credit for someone's salvation when someone else has had a part in it, even if I was the only one. I can't take credit for it. Why? I didn't save them. God did. And so this is the role of every believer. We sow the seed. And sometimes it only takes just a couple or three words. Maybe it's just a little statement that will make someone sit up and take notice about eternity. Hey, you've sowed the seed. And maybe something else will happen. That person will all of a sudden be, be generated and get a hunger. And then God moves in and he finishes that work of salvation. Well, I really do not have time to do the next part justice, but I guess we might as well try. And now, in the light of everything we've seen this far in Corinthians, God is going to bring us now, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, from the pen of the Apostle Paul, this whole idea of works in the life of a believer. Now, verse 9. Now, remember what he just said. I planted, Apollos watered, maybe somebody else had a part in it, but God gave the increase. Now, with that thought resting on your mind, come into verse 9. For we... All of us together are laborers together with God. Now, right about now, I wish I could bring in one of these little portable beehives. Have any of you ever seen them? Got a gentleman down at, down at Wilberton, and maybe there are others around. You can set that beehive inside your house and run a little inch pipe outside, and those bees will just start coming in that pipe, and they'll build their honey and uh, all the works, just like if they got a big hive. And you can just sit there at the table and watch them. Most interesting thing you could ever see. And then wherever the people that put these together, then they mark the queen bee. So you can just watch that queen bee every place she goes. you never seen one? Everybody looking at me blank. I mean, they are amazing. And how those little workers will kick out those that are lazy. You can just watch it all in front of your eye. Well, here's exactly what we see here. Just like a hive of bees, busy with all of their workers, and they all have their unique little role to fulfill. Some do nothing but clean house for the queen, see? But they're all part of the hive. They're all working for the same purpose, see? All right, now Paul says that's what we are. We're laborers, not as individuals, not just for your local church, although there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the end result. The end result is that we are God's husbandry. We are God's building. Now, as I teach this, and I won't have time to go on into uh, verses 12, 13, and so forth, but as you read this, hopefully before the next program rolls around, I want you to envision yourself as being a worker building a wall, maybe of brick. And then we're going to see that God is going to give you six different materials to work with as you build in that segment of the wall which is part of God's building. And every one of us are involved in it. Some of us may just never get out of our rocking chair. Others may accomplish great things, but we're still, just like those bees in the hive, we're all working together for a common purpose. Of course, the analogy breaks down because God doesn't kick out the lazy worker, whereas the bees will. But nevertheless, we are working every day 
toward the same end, and that is to bring glory to God, to fulfill or fill up the body of Christ, which I taught here several weeks ago, that when the body is complete and the last person is brought in, what's going to happen? The Lord's going to take us. He's going to deliver us out of this old evil world because the body is now complete. So here is the whole concept here that we are, verse 9 again, we are laboring with God. We are God's husbandry. We are part of God's building. And I don't want to go into verse 10 until we get into the full 30 minutes, but I'm going to have to stop here. That as workers, every believer, whether we're carnal like Corinth, or whether we're spiritual giants like maybe some other great men of God, doesn't make any difference. We are all working for the same end. We are all working for the same purpose, and that is to bring everything to God's end. And that's why he's left it in the hands of mortal men. Why didn't he put the Word of God in the hands of angels? Have you ever thought of that? He didn't leave it with angels. He has left it in the hands of mortal men, just exactly people like you and I. And we are not to sit on our chair and do nothing, but we are to labor just like that honeybee. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369-7856 That's 1-800-369-7856 Remember, this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries Route 1, Box 760 Kenta, Oklahoma 74552 And our phone is 1-800-369-7856 Thanks again for listening and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.